Folks, have you checked out the Irish History Podcast shop recently? Right now, I have a sale of 30% off everything when you use the code SALE30. So go to irishhistorypodcast.ie forward slash shop and get 30% off everything when you use the discount code SALE30. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi folks and welcome to this episode of the Irish History Podcast, The Witch, Mary Doheny and 19th Century Supernatural Scam. This show originated in research for another upcoming episode on one of the most brutal killings in modern Irish history. That is the story of Bridget Cleary who died in 1895, the last woman burned alive in Ireland. That's proving a hard show to get right, not least because it's wrapped up in superstitions. However, in the course of the research, I came across the remarkable life of the 19th century con woman, Mary Doheny, and I thought that you'd appreciate a podcast on her story. Now in the 21st century, when we think of con men or scams, we usually think of bogus emails or phone calls trying to fool people into handing over bank details. However, in the 19th century, things operated a little differently. The remarkable activities of Mary Doheny, branded a witch by her contemporaries, is almost unbelievable. In 19th century Ireland, there was still some magic in the world, or rather a belief in magic at least, and she exploited this to the hilt, as we shall see. Before we set out for 1864 and the story of Mary Doheny, I want to mention my new book. As many of you are aware, my latest book on the Black Death, 1348 A Medieval Apocalypse, was released last month. This book was funded by you, the podcast audience, and helped to break new ground. It was pointed out recently that this is, in fact, the first book on Irish history that's been crowdfunded. The book, 1348, A Medieval Apocalypse, The Black Death in Ireland, tells a fascinating story of the Great Plague through the lives of eight Irish people who lived through the 14th century, when famine, war and revolt were all features of daily life. This is the stuff that series like Game of Thrones is based on. If you know nothing or a lot about the Middle Ages, this book is still easy to relate to. You can get the book in hardback or audio at my website irishhistorypodcast.ie or the Kindle version on Amazon. Just search for 1348 A Medieval Apocalypse. Now to the show. In early 1863, Mary Doheny and her husband, a blind beggar, moved to the town of Carrigan-Shore in South Tipperary. While they were poor and of little means, within 18 months, 
Mary had become one of the most famous and controversial characters in the town, gaining both national fame and notoriety. When, in September 1864, she was hauled before a court in Carrigan-Shore, accused of orchestrating one of the bizarrest scams of the 19th century, the room was thronged with her opponents and supporters. Whatever she was, Mary Doheny was certainly not an average person. Described as being about 40 and good-looking by a newspaper reporter in 1864, she and her husband were something of an odd couple. While he was a beggar, she was an enigmatic figure, known to some as a witch or in popular parlance a fairy doctor. Fairy doctors, alternatively known as herb doctors, were natural healers of a sort that plied their trade up and down Ireland until the early 20th century. Their understanding of medicine was unorthodox. In other cultures, these fairy doctors would have been referred to as witch doctors. While fairy doctors, like Mary Doheny, could set broken bones, central to her understanding of the world, and more specifically health, was the impact that supernatural forces had on the body. Frequently fairy doctors diagnosed problems as arising from the presence or impact of fairies on a person. They believed the actions of these fairies, magical beings that supposedly lived beneath the earth, could explain sickness or ill health. Frequent treatments they prescribed involved potions and incantations to ward off these fairies. Now while this sounds pretty crazy to us today, many in the late 19th century believed in the power of these fairy doctors. In a world where medical care was pretty rudimentary, it was one way at least to understand unexplainable diseases, particularly around issues like mental health. After Mary Doheny arrived in Carrigan-Shore, she began to treat people in the town through 1863 and into 1864. Indeed, when the summer of 1863 was particularly dry, she reaped what was later referred to as a golden harvest, doling out herb potions to farmers, which reputedly would help cows produce large volumes of milk. While she gained a reputation from this work, it also provoked cynicism and criticism. There were many who were dubious of Doheny and believed her to be nothing more than a charlatan. Indeed, the local priest, Reverend Power, convened a meeting in the town to warn people away from her. However, even after this, Manny continued to consult her, including the Reeves family from Carrigan-Shore, who are central to the story. The Reeves family were respected members of Carrigan-Shore society in the mid-19th century. Joseph Reeves was a policeman in the Royal Irish Constabulary and by 1864 was something of a veteran, having given nearly 22 years of service. However, the family were also riven with tragedy. Joseph Reeves and his wife Mary, who I'll refer to as Mrs Reeves, given we already have one Mary in the story, suffered repeated personal loss. Mary Reeves' sister Ellen had died in 1853, followed by another sister Margaret in 1857. Then, in 1860, their son, William, a boy of 10 years of age, passed away. The following year of 1861, Mrs Reeves' father, another William, died, only to be followed to the grave by her sister, Bridget. While the death rate in the 19th century was far higher than today, losing five members of an immediate family in the space of 10 years understandably took its toll on the couple. However, their difficulties had not passed. In 1863, not long after the death of Mrs Reeves' father and sister Bridget, another of the Reeves' children was very sickly, suffering from epileptic fits and possibly a mental illness of some form or another. Agitated, the child rarely slept well. One can imagine the strain these events must have put on the Reeves' family. Having already lost several members, including one child, 
they now had another sickly child who appeared to be ailing. It was around September 1863, perhaps at their wit's end, that the Reeves made contact with Mary Doheny, who by now had gained what was a controversial reputation around the town. Doheny does appear to have had some healing skills and at least was able to administer potions which helped soothe the ill child. While some newspapers would later report that the child died, more reliable and detailed accounts revealed she did in fact survive. Understandably, the Reeves were overjoyed by this. Mary Doheny seemed like a heaven send. Not only did she save their child, but also, furthermore, she didn't even ask for money and just took payment in food. It was in this intense crucible of emotions that Doheny formed a bond with the Reeve family. However, from Doheny's perspective, this was just the first step in a thoroughly ruthless scam where she set about exploiting the Reeves' recent tragedies and troubles. After she successfully treated the child, Doheny became a frequent visitor in the house and a guest at the Reeves' dinner table. Such was the relationship of trust that developed between her and the family that several contemporary reports went as far as saying she had bewitched them. Given what lay ahead, she may well have performed some sort of hypnosis on the couple. The relationship quickly began to turn deceptive and what might be called abusive when Mary Doheny, at some time in 1864, revealed herself to be a necromancer of sorts to the family. Now a necromancer is a person who supposedly at least can commune with the dead. Whatever her healing skills may have been, Mary Doheny was certainly a very convincing, deceptive and manipulative woman, able to read people and situations very well, and the Reeves believed her in this somewhat ludicrous claim. After telling them she was a necromancer, Mary Doheny then offered Joseph Reeves the chance to meet his deceased father-in-law, William Mullins. At this point, the story became absolutely surreal, to the point that had it not ended up in court, it would probably have become a legend or a ghost story. Having promised to show Joseph Reeves his long-dead father-in-law, Mary Doheny took him outside Carrigan Shore to a place called Knock Row, late on a summer's evening in 1864. Around midnight, she, according to Reeves' later testimony, pointed in a certain direction and asked him did he see anything. Reeves later swore on oath that when he looked, he saw his deceased father-in-law, William Mullins, standing in front of him. Reeves did not communicate with his father-in-law, but he seemed certain it was him. When the story emerged, the natural question of whether drink had been taken was put to him, but Reeves was in fact a pioneer of many years. After this, Mary Doheny developed her scam by supposedly unveiling not only William Mullins, but all the members of the wider family who had died in recent years to the Reeves couple. For this, they both accompanied Doheny to an abandoned house at midnight where Mrs Reeves' three dead sisters supposedly appeared. How exactly Doheny was achieving this deception is unknown, but presumably she had accomplices. In the most ruthless and probably sinister aspect of the deception, the couple also claimed Doheny was able to show them their deceased child, William, at the house as well. The Reeves at this point were completely duped by Doheny and her accomplices she elaborated on the story, telling the couple that these were not just ghosts, but in fact their relatives who had been resurrected from the dead. While the reason was left unstated, she added a further detail that they had to remain in the ruined house for three months, after which they could then return to Carrigan Shore to live. Strange as it sounds, the Reeves totally believed this story, that, 
after spending three months in this ruined house, their deceased relatives would return and live in Carrigan Shore with them. Mrs Reeves, when talking about her father later, stated, He died three years ago and was buried in Carrigan Shore, but he is now living in Carrigan Shore. Having carefully, maliciously and successfully laid the groundwork, Mary Doheny now proceeded with the scam. Not long after these strange events, one of the Reeves' living children, Terence, arrived home with a letter purporting to be from the resurrected relatives, saying they needed food. Confused, Mrs Reeves consulted her resident expert in all things supernatural, Mary Doheny, about what she should send. Soon, tea, milk, bread, butter and other foods was being sent on a daily basis to the abandoned house. The messengers were either the Reeves' young son, Terence, or a niece. The children met what they thought was a dead relative, returned to life. Unsurprisingly, the food parcels then made their way to Mary Doheny's house. Doheny, having utterly convinced the couple, now increasingly demanded expensive and varied foods. The Reeves family even received a request for tobacco for their dead relatives and had some of the food that they sent up returned with the excuse that it wasn't to their relatives' liking. Unbelievably, the Reeves did not suspect Doheny at all. Unsurprisingly, providing the food for their supposedly resurrected relatives became a costly business and the Reeves soon found themselves short of money and increasingly in debt. However, Doheny cleverly strung them along. For the scam to work, she needed to incorporate a reward for the Reeves' generosity. They could and would not be able to continue giving money unless they thought at some stage they would get something back in order to pay off their increasing debts. So it was that the Reeves received letters purportedly from their once-dead relatives now living in the house. In these letters, the Reeves were promised great wealth and fortune. The letters promised that once their relatives returned to live in Carriganshire, they were going to bring with them great wealth and bestow land on the couple. With the promise of this wealth, the Reeves continued to bankrupt themselves. Indeed, the story at some points was tragic. Mrs Reeves, fervently believing her relatives needed clothing, began to make them from her own nightdress. It was only when a police inspector, Joseph Reeves, superior in Carrigan Shore, got wind of what was happening and began to investigate that the scam started to unravel. He quickly realised something was afoot and when he raided Doheny's home, he found the letters and indeed some of the supplies that had been given for the Reeves' relations. Eventually, Mary Doheny was hauled before the courts, but still, despite the evidence presented, the family remained loyal to her. After he was cross-examined by the prosecution, Joseph Reeves approached Mary Doheny and said, Never mind, Mary, no matter what they say, I believe what you told me and what I have seen. He wasn't the only one who fervently believed in Doheny, Another Carriganshore policeman, James Hayes, testified that she had shown him apparitions and dead people. Local newspapers noted how respectable members of Carriganshore society also supported Mary Doheny. The scam, which no doubt kept her and her family fed for months, was tragic. While Doheny herself was no doubt poor, it's hard to make excuses for her, given she targeted a family that were vulnerable and ultimately went bankrupt themselves. Reflecting back on the story... It seems at times hard to believe. It's often said that for a lie to work, the victim needs on some level to want the lie to be true. That is certainly the case in this story. The Reeves family clearly had suffered terrible tragedy in their family and Mary Doheny was able to exploit this 
nor that they genuinely wanted to believe that their dead relatives had returned to life. That said, Mary Doherty herself was a pretty unusual and mysterious person. She undoubtedly did have skills at healing, which allowed her to gain trust of the family in the first place. She also appears to have been a very persuasive and convincing person. Most of all, she was utterly ruthless to use a family's tragedy against them, particularly the loss of a child. However, the story also reveals the persistence of supernatural beliefs in Irish society in the late 19th century. Mrs Reeves herself was undoubtedly a very, very superstitious person and her beliefs were integral to the scam being able to work. She claimed later in court that before any of these events had taken place, her sister and her father's ghosts had been appearing to her. She claimed her three sisters had apparently called out to her, but she refused to answer because she believed the fairies were with them. Such beliefs weren't that uncommon in 19th century Ireland, and someone unscrupulous like Mary Doheny, who herself was considered to be a woman with considerable understanding of the supernatural, was perfectly placed to exploit these beliefs. In this case, her activities landed her 12 months in prison with hard labour. However, belief in superstition could also be lethal. This will be clearly illustrated in the next episode on the story of Bridget Cleary, who died in 1895 and was the last person burned to death in Ireland. Until next time, Sloan. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.